appreciate that. Well, good morning. Van Cochran, our lead pastor, is on vacation. I think he's down in the mountains of North Carolina hiking and hopefully picking up a wonderful southern accent. So, he's thinking of us today, and he wanted to let us know that he misses us, and uh, he's praying for us. I think it's safe to say that everyone of us today come in with the shootings over the past week on our minds. The shootings in Louisiana, Minnesota, and Dallas have raised a lot of questions. Questions like what is happening in our country? What will happen next? And are we safe? And the events have stirred emotions like anger and shock, fear and suspicion. The lives in the cities that I mentioned are forever changed. Family and friends are grieving today. And as a nation, we are all touched by the grief. And before I give the message today, I'd like for us just as a, a church family, just to take a moment and pray for just all the families and individuals involved uh, over the past week. So would you join me in praying? So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. You're the great comforter and counselor. And we look to you for comfort and guidance for our country right now. We lift up the families of every person personally impacted. God, we just lift them up to you. Holy Spirit, do your work. Come pour comfort and strength into their hearts. And with our hearts today, with each of us in this room, come work in our hearts. Help us to look to Jesus right now, Holy Spirit. Let us hear his words. Let us hear his words above the continuous cycle of news and the opinions expressed. Just fill us with your love. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth today, right now, as it is in heaven. Amen. Well, People Magazine, in anticipation of the 4th of July holiday, did an article on 100 reasons why people love America. <clears throat> and it's an interesting article because it's just a list. And throughout the list, and it's a very random list, there are serious comments. Uh, for example, um, Amanda Stenberg, Amanda is the actress who played in the Hunger Games movies, made this comment of why she loves America. She says, we are a multicultural country. I am exposed to so many different cultures and people. So that was one of the more serious um, expanded explanations. But the others are just random lists, like the reasons that people love America are Amazon Prime, <laughs> Trader Joe's, blue jeans, hamburgers, hot dogs, and margaritas, Red Solo Cups. Do I sound like that country singer? Is that how do I do? Pickup trucks. Kenny Chesney's stadium shows. Beyonce's formation tour. Biscuits and the public library system. Now, as I'm looking over the article, I'm wondering, it's like, what about puppies? Are puppies anywhere listed? And then as I scroll down, it's like, oh yeah, they're under the stylish dog Instagram posts. <laughs> So, 
Now, as I'm reading that list or mentioning those things, did any of you just kind of, as you heard one of those or a couple of those, it's like, oh, yeah, there's just kind of a warmth inside and a good memory that you're able to connect with? We love things. And it's interesting that that was the word that was used to describe we love America. And that's not a bad word. It's it just so common. Have you noticed like anything that we're talking about? Is, oh, I love that. Oh, I love that guy. I love her. It's a great word. And it makes sense because it is a strong affection or liking for someone or something. It's a great def dictionary definition that strong affection of liking someone or something. But love is a word that is so full of meaning that if it's overused, and we tend to overuse it, is that it almost cheapens the emotion, the intensity and the power and the amazement of its action and its experience. I mean, there's so much involved as we give, is that we're impacted as we give that love and as we receive that love. Our lives can be so full. And spiritually, love expands to include experiences of freedom and change. It involves choice and determination that can be costly for the person giving it. I mean, I take a risk as I choose to love someone else because that person may reject my extension of love. I put my heart out there and that person may not want my love. We're in a message series entitled Design for Dynamic Faith. And over the past weeks, we've been talking about as Christ followers, if we are born again spiritually and following Jesus, is that our lives become lives that are just full of faith. Is that we take risk time after time after time. See, God invites us into an adventure of faith or trust. And I would be using those words interchangeably. See, so he invites us to take a step to trust him. And then he'll invite us to take another step to trust him more. And he says, well, let's go deeper into this adventure of risk-taking. Open your heart more. And as we take those steps, we just grow in this, this experience of faith. Believing, trusting that Jesus knows best with what to do with our lives, it comes naturally to us. It's who we are. It really isn't a step of adventure. And it is a real step of faith because it's risky. To be able to love someone else and open ourselves to the possibility of hurt and rejection is a big step. It means work. I mean, when we think about it, love takes some investment, doesn't it? I mean, I actually have to think of how I am intentionally going to touch someone's life. I have to think through how I'm going to invest in another person. It means I may have to look at others differently and lay down my preconceived ideas to be able to embrace the differences of someone who is culturally different than I am, who was raised differently than I was. Paul, a biblical writer, wrote some, to some friends in a city called Galatia. And Galatia is in this adventure of lots of people following Jesus. There's this newness of life that's happening within them, and they're, they're excited, and they're sharing their faith. But there are some, like many of us, that were struggling because there was this familiarity of their culture. 
there was this familiarity and routine that they were in that God was saying, I want you to, to, to step beyond what is known, the familiar. I want you to step beyond just the comfort. See, what was happening was that there were some people in Galatia that were really into the customs. They, if they observed the customs as part of their worship of God, that somehow they were considered more mature or, or, or growing in their faith. And one of the cultural expressions that many of the men were buying into is that they had to be circumcised. And Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Not, not that important. Paul tells them, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it makes no difference whether you are circumcised or not. All that matters is your faith that makes you love others. All that matters is your faith that makes you love others. And I was preparing this message. My mind was filled with the events of this, this past week. I was thinking about Minnesota and Louisiana and Dallas. And, and even today, I'm feeling the sadness and, and the weight inside of just the events of the past week for the people that were killed, all the families that are affected, the pain they are feeling and the pain that we are feeling as a country. And I feel the impact of Paul's words today more intensely. And I'm praying that as, as we walk through this message, that each of us will be encouraged as people of faith to take deeper steps of loving more intensely. Today we're looking at individuals who were willing to love while experiencing rejection. Experiencing rejection or resistance and flat-out opposition to everything they stood for. And the first person we're looking at is a man by the name of Hosea. Hosea was an Old Testament prophet who lived about 800 years prior to Jesus' birth. And he was living in a time of great economic prosperity. Politically, things were a little shaky with some of the other countries, but there was a lot of good negotiation going on. Hosea had a really nice life until this happened. Let's read Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. I want to encourage you to go home and read this book this afternoon. It's a great story of love and hope. But you really have to stay with the story because there's this weaving in as God's speaking or as Hosea's speaking. The chapters are just filled with emotion and love and longing. And so there's this intertwining of God's heart and Hosea's heart. I like what one pastor says about the book. He says, Hosea reads more like a love letter more like a peek into God's personal diary than a sermon. More like an exploration of God's heart than a journey through his mind. If the Gospels explore the meaning of God becoming human, then Hosea describes what happens when humans are allowed to see what it means to be God. So here's the context. Things are going really well in Israel. People are happy. And they're celebrating the goodness. But instead of giving 
prays to the one true God of Israel, they're assuming that a local idol named Baal is the one that's producing all the goodness for them. See, Baal was a god of fertility. So if it rained, or if people were having children, or if the crops were growing, people were ascribing all of those good things to Baal. And so part of the celebration is that they would do lots of baking, and they would make these huge cakes, raisin cakes, and they would take them to the temples to celebrate Baal. But also as part of their worship was ritual prostitution. People would go to a temple and worship Baal by meeting with a prostitute. So, and seeing all the goodness that's happening, people are saying, oh, God, uh, the, our Baal God is doing this and not the one true God of Israel. So the one true God of Israel who is giving all this goodness is totally rejected and not loved. So while this is happening on a large scale for the nation, God tells Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go and get married. He goes and marries Gomer. He goes to Gomer, and Gomer has a pretty shady past, so some scholars believe. And scholars actually debate, was she a woman who entered the marriage relationship pure and then later committed adultery? Or was she a prostitute prior to him marrying her? Or did she become a ritual prostitute at the temple after the marriage? We don't really know. But what we do know is, is that everything that Hosea stood for, emotionally, spiritually, sexually, she totally walked away from. And it broke his heart. Hosea and Gomer had a son together. She later had two other children, a son and a daughter. And the children do not appear to be Hosea's children. So Hosea has Gomer in her household, and then she leaves him. And for a while, he lives as a single parent with three children in his house. And he's longing for his wife. The three chapters of Hosea's pain, intertwined with God's pain over the nation of Israel, just weaves back and forth. And in chapter 3, Hosea is given this instruction by God. It says, The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. <clears throat> so Homer, Hosea goes to Gomer and this guy's house. Can you imagine how awkward it was for Hosea to walk up to that door? To knock on that door and the other man opens the door and says, what do you want? Well, I came for Gomer. Well, she doesn't love you. Well, I've come for her anyways. She doesn't want to go with you. And then Hosea says, I'm ready to make a deal. And chapter 3 goes on to tell us that Hosea paid 15 pieces of silver and seven bushes of barley to buy her. And I told her that for a long time she would have to wait for me without being a prostitute or committing adultery. And during this time, I would wait for her. What do you think is happening right now in Gomer's heart? I mean, here's the man standing at the door 
who has loved her, has longed for her, who has come for her now in this, this, this place that she's living. Does he love me? And what about the guy I'm with right now? I mean, he's actually having a conversation about selling me. And here she is seeing this man that she's with that is willing to sell her back to Hosea. And so she is caught between this experience of, am I loved? And see, what's happening with Hosea is this, this whole thing of trying to sort out his love and his anger. And here is Gomer wondering, wow, this expression of love, but how can I still be loved? See, after chapter 3, Hosea's story, personal story, is never mentioned again. The rest of the book covers what happens in God's heart with the nation of Israel. But I think in those three chapters, there are some lessons that we can pull out, some principles that will help us as we walk through the pain of rejection. First, I think we have to be honest with our feelings. God and Hosea are just displaying lots of emotion in the first three chapters of the book. There's this anger, there's this shock, there's this longing, there's this love, there's this come back and I don't want you back, but I really want you back. And if I could do this, but wait, I'm not going to do that because it's not loving. So there's this wrestling going on, but the feelings are expressed. And I think for us, it's so easy in our society is to receive our hurt and then we'll say, oh, it's okay, we'll excuse it. Well, that really doesn't bother me when inside it's eating us alive. Part of the healing comes as we say, this is really what's going on. I'm really angry. I don't like this. I don't like what that person did. I don't like the person right now. But as we're able to admit that, healing can begin. Secondly, we can realize that we cannot control the outcome of other people's choices. We can't control the outcome of other people's choices. Gomer walked away from a good husband and the people of Israel walked away from a good God. And our tendency is to blame ourselves when someone walks away from us and saying, it's my fault or I should have tried harder. Now granted, in a relationship, there are things we can do to improve, to keep investing, to keep adding to. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the relationships that we feel overly responsible for. So people make choices to leave goodness. But they are responsible for those choices and those actions. We are responsible for our choices and our actions when they make that decision. And one of the things we have to lay down is our choice either to blame or not to blame ourselves? Are we willing to lay that down? To love will cost us something. Hosea and God paid the price to forgive the ones who rejected them. The whole story of the Bible is God's love letter and his pursuit of us wooing us back. But it cost him. It cost Hosea to go and to reach out to Gomer and to pay to get her out of a very bad situation. What are the costs that we pay to love someone else? 
can be costly because there's this choice we have to make to forgive. And forgiveness is that emotional thing in us and that choice within us that we wrestle with that we have to lay it down to lay down this right to punish. The right to make this person pay. We have to lay that down, but it can be emotionally costly. There's investment involved to receive someone back. Sometimes in a situation, at least for us, we may need to pay for a counselor to help us sort through things or to go to, to workshops or groups to relate to people that can help us get out of situations and rebuild. It's costly. Sometimes we have to relocate to another area to get out of a bad situation. It's costly. Next, we have to set limits around behaviors that hurt us. Hosea set a limit with Gomer. Did you notice that when I read those verses? And here was what he said. We are not sleeping together until we deal with the emotional and spiritual fallout in our relationship. If we settle into this sexual relationship right away, we're not going to get to the, the emotional and the relational and spiritual pieces of our relationship that need to be healed. So we're going to wait. You see, he set a limit. For Gomer, sex had become an idol to her. It was her God. And what is happening in this moment by setting that limit is that Hosea is helping her reset her affections to God as well as to reset her affections to him. It was a tough choice he made. But he knew the work emotionally and spiritually had to be done for reconciliation, for them to come together again as husband and wife. It had to be done. And reconciliation is possible when we face the areas that are really, really tough and we face them head on. Years ago, I heard a teacher teach on what it takes to reconcile with someone else. And he says, to reconcile is that each party has to be willing to reconcile. There has to be a willingness that I have to look at the things that I have contributed into this relationship that have not been that great. Or some behaviors that I've been doing or some attitudes I've had that have, have not helped the situation. I have to be willing to lay those down. But so does the other person. Both parties have to be willing to change. They have to be willing to be reconciled. And often it takes an outside party that can kind of listen and help us sort out what's going on. Reconciliation is possible when problem areas are faced and limits are set around the behaviors that hurt us. It's possible to reconcile, but those things that are hurting us in our relationships have to be laid down. And as you're listening to me, I'm, I'm, things are kind of like, how do we do limits? Well, it's saying no. Saying no to those things of people lashing out to us in anger. Setting a limit is like, hey, I want to have this discussion with you, but until the heat's gone and that anger goes down a little bit, we're not having the discussion. You can't keep hurting me with those, those words you're using. I love you, but those words hurt. Please stop. Those are examples of setting limits. Now, there are times when we will need the faith to, to love through the pain of that intense rejection. But there are other times that we will need to love through the pain of resistance. And there's a difference. 
Rejection, and at least describing it, sounds more harsh. Resistance is one of those situations where people really, without even intending it, hurt us with their words. Because they're either in a place of insecurity or some pain in their own lives that they lash out at us. There's an example in the Old Testament of a woman named Ruth. Again, another good read for you this afternoon. The Old Testament book of Ruth is four chapters, and I'll tell you the story briefly. There's a man by the name of Elimelech and his wife Naomi are living in a little town called Bethlehem, familiar place to many of us. And things are tough economically in Bethlehem, so they move to a country called Moab. And while in Moab, Elimelech and Naomi settle in, they have two sons, they get married. The daughters are Ruth and Opah, Opah, Orpah, Orpah, Epah. You are awake, okay. The name is Orpah. And the daughters are there, and it's a happy family, and then suddenly Elimelech dies. Ten years later, both sons die. And so Naomi is left with her daughters-in-law. And she is wrestling what, what she's going to do. And at this point, she is grief-stricken. She's hearing that things are better in Bethlehem and is deciding she's going to move back. And she says to her daughter-in-laws, and when you, you really think about what Naomi is doing here, she's thinking of the best for her daughters-in-law, at least on the surface. She's saying, you know, I'm not going to have any more sons, and you can't wait around, and it's better you stay with your family. And they said, no, we really want to go with you. And so they head out to Bethlehem. And while they're traveling, she turns around and says, hey, look, really, you need to go back to your families. Orpah goes back to Moab. But Ruth does this. She tells Naomi, please don't tell me to leave you and return home. I will go where you go. I will live where you live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And the English language really does not capture the, the emotion of that. But Ruth is really angry here. She is actually saying, Naomi, what are you doing? Do you realize what you're doing? You're telling me to go back and leave you. I mean, you're like mom to me now. But do you realize you're telling me to just go back and abandon my faith in God? You see, for her to go back could have meant that she stepped back into worshiping the gods of the Moabites. But she is committed here to the God of Israel. She's committed to Naomi as mom. So how does Naomi respond to Ruth's statement? We come to this place, I mean, Ruth is just pouring her heart out here and said, I'm angry and I'm angry because I love you and I want to be with you and I love God and I'm doing what God's leading me to do. And what's Naomi do? Stops talking. Really? I've just poured my heart out to you and you're not even talking to me now? See, Naomi is in a tough place emotionally and spiritually. And on the one hand, she's thinking very clearly about the best interests of her daughters-in-law. But on the other hand, she's not thinking clearly at all if she's encouraging Ruth to give up her faith. But Naomi is in this place of grief. She's mad at God, which is common when people grieve frequently. And in her grief and in her anger, she's beginning to shut out the love, to resist the love that is being shown to her. So what does Ruth do? 
where she stays engaged in the day-to-day -day responsibilities of encouraging Naomi, of stepping out and providing for herself, helping to bring in food for the family, of looking to the adventures of what God is leading her into next. There's this openness in her heart that says, okay, what's, what's happening today? There was also something she did is that she was able to look at Naomi and look past that place of hurt she's living in. She was able to look at Naomi and see the person who she was before this happened to her. So how do we keep living day to day? I mean, some of us can relate to Ruth because we may be in this situation where we're caring for a parent who's ill. Or we have some friends that are going through some tough situations where there's a sense of loss or an experience of loss. What do we do to keep loving? The thing we can do is stay committed to the ways we see God working. Remembering his provision from past experiences. Like, God, you took care of me in this situation. And you helped me out in this, this trouble with this person before. And so you're going to help me again. We can look intently on the gift of a new day. Just to intentionally look, hey man, that was a great sunrise. How many of you this morning were able to get outside before it started getting warm, like around 7, 8 o'clock, and the nice breeze? And I actually sat on my porch. Somebody was like, yeah, really? People get up that early on a Sunday? I'm usually one of those people, but I was up early getting ready for this this morning, and I'm sitting on my porch, and it's like, yeah. One of the reasons I love America is my front porch. <laughs> I was really in the, the People magazine. I, I just concur with that. But there was just this joy and delight. It's like, thank you, God, for this, this gift of, of today. Because it's your provision. Keeping a sense of humor is another way we get through those tough situations. A few years ago, I worked as a patient care assistant, I have kind of a medical background and like medical field. And I was working in a center that was caring for people with dementia. And I was also volunteering to do speaking on Sundays to do a chapel service. So I'm walking down the hallway with this one lady and she's at one moment, it's like, well, how are you doing today? And she looks at me and she's referring to the chapel and she's going about this speech. She says, what time does this calamity start today? What time does this calamity start today? I had to laugh because I'm the one that's leading the calamity today. <laughs> in that moment, there's this delight in who she is and the sense of humor that she has in spite of all the dementia and that sense of loss that we look into her world. But in that moment, I was able to step into her world and see who she is. And that's how we as caregivers continue to, to, to care and to love Finally, there will be times when we need the faith to love through the pain of opposition. To love in those situations the people that we consider our enemies or that consider us enemies. When we come face to face with that opposition, then what do we do? Jesus teaching on a hillside one afternoon, teaching on a lot of topics, and it came up, what do you do about love? And Jesus said this, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, 
Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And to illustrate this point, I'd like to turn to the story of Dan Bauman. Dan works with an organization called Youth with a Mission. Wilson Cochran, one of our pastors, knows Dan personally. Some of you that have served with Youth with a Mission may know Dan or at least Dan's story. I think his story captures more than I can in words the strength and the power of loving someone else that's considered an enemy. His story challenges us to step beyond our fears and our vulnerabilities and our own pain in order to love. Let's watch the video. Throughout my life, I've seen God's goodness and seen the power of love. One of the greatest times was when I was in prison in Iran. With two death sentences on my life in Iran a few years ago, I never knew if I'd ever get out. But one of the big challenges I had there was God challenging me to love my enemies. I ended up being beaten every day by one man. He was my interrogator. And it was through this process of being there with him that God challenged me to love him. God challenged me to look at him through the eyes of God. At first, this was, seemed impossible because everything was about me. But over time, God radically changed my heart. I began to bless this man and love this man. And I'll never forget the last day I saw him. I had no idea it would be the last day I'd see him. But as usual, he took me to the interrogation room. And with bloodstains on the floor, I would stand there in fear. And it was on that day that the love and power of God came over me. And I looked at him and I said, Sir, if I'm going to see you the rest of my life, let's become friends. He scoffed at me and said, Never. And then I said again, Sir, let's start by exchanging names. Let's become friends today. We had never exchanged names because that wasn't allowed. As I stuck out my hand to shake his hand, he froze. When he froze, then he started to shake. As he started to shake, he started to look around the room. As he looked around the room, all of a sudden his hand came out of his pocket and he reached it towards me and he shook my hand. When he shook my hand, all of a sudden he started to weep and tears started to flow down his face. It was then that he looked at me and he said these simple words, Dan, my name is Rizal and I would love to be your friend. And it was at that moment that I knew, knew that there was no heart too hard for Jesus that even in my darkest hour, even with the greatest enemy right before me, the power of love was real and it changed his heart. God has given us the ability to take a risk, to risk to love others through the pain of rejection and resistance even the ability to love our enemies. He has given us you, me, the power to love, to take the risk to stick out our hands and step into the adventure of love that God opens up. Are we ready today to commit to that for the rest of our lives?
are we ready to commit to that moment by moment? To take the risk as well as the adventure to love. Let's pray together. Lord, we just realize that we need your love today. Holy Spirit, come and just fill us with the fullness of your love. Many of us come in here today experiencing that rejection and the resistance. And Lord, we just give that to you right now. We just give you that hurt. We give you the questioning of what next steps to take. God, just come help us. Lord, visit us as we worship you. Come personally, touch our hearts. We need you today. And we say we love you. In Jesus' name.